0: or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hi, guys. So today we have another solo episode. So I always say this and I was talking to my producer Ali right before we hopped on and I was like, I am so surprised every time you guys are interested in me doing solos because I'm like, what am I going to talk about? And then I put it out on Instagram and you guys ask all of these questions. So I feel like I have a really good outline and a very, very like juicy episode filled with topics you guys have asked me about either prior to me putting this out, like questions out or you know things that you guys have specifically asked for in the questions box on Instagram. So, I'm actually going to start by talking about something that I touched on on my birthday which was a few weeks ago and my DMs essentially exploded. So, every milestone that I have, so I'll, you know, the example is my birthday. I record a video to my future self and It's almost like a time capsule. And on my birthday this year, I'll like get very specific. I recorded a video to myself that I'm supposed to watch on my next birthday. And in that video, I go over everything that number one, like kind of like a reflection of where I'm at and everything that I've accomplished at this time. And then everything that I think and hope we accomplish by we as in me and my future self (laughs) accomplish by my next birthday. And I started doing this last year or maybe like a year and a half ago, but basically I do it on every milestone Whether that is on birthdays, Nish and I did it together when we moved into our house. I did it when I got my US visa, basically, these milestones. And I actually learned about it, not in a milestone capacity, but in another capacity when I read this book called Be Your Future Self Now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I have recommended this book. I don't even know, probably a hundred times, but it really is a phenomenal read when it comes to tangible tips and tricks that we can do to show up as kind of our high, the highest version of ourselves that we aspire to be. So the book starts off with an example of Mr. Beast. And if you guys aren't familiar, Mr. Beast is a YouTuber. I've actually never watched any of his YouTube videos, but I know the concept of what he does. He's probably... Like if not the biggest, like one of the biggest one of the biggest YouTubers in the world. And the whole book starts with this case study on Mr. Beast, whereby when Mr. Beast started his YouTube channel, he essentially recorded three videos or I think four videos. One that he was supposed to watch six months from that date, another year, a year from that date, another five years from the date, and then the last one, 10 years from the date of recording. And he made them public, but he actually watched it, I guess, live for his audience on those given dates. And what happened in those videos is that he talked about his, like where he was and his goals and aspirations for that time period. And then he'd watch it back and... It was just this like crazy thing to see how far he'd come, what he'd accomplished. And typically what would happen was that he would blow past what he had hoped to accomplish. And so after reading that book, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do the same. And so I did the same thing. I recorded a video for myself for six months later, a year later, five years later and 10 years later. Now, I watched the videos that I've made for myself six months and at the one year mark. And I was really, really blown away by the degree of accomplishments that I had gone through, you know, the hopes that I had for myself versus what I actually accomplished. It was a very, very cool thing to see. And the thing is that even if there are certain things that you haven't accomplished, which has happened to me where I've like slightly fallen short of a goal, or maybe I haven't been able to get to a goal altogether, then it Kind of helps you understand what it is that you need to work on. Maybe there's blocks that you're dealing with, which kind of stem from more overarching issues that need to kind of be looked at, or maybe it's just something you haven't prioritized. But I think it's just a really interesting experiment. And Oftentimes we'll lay out goals for ourselves and we almost forget the significance of what it means to accomplish those goals just because that's human psychology. Anytime we see ourselves getting, you know, we're 10% away from achieving a goal, we've kind of already blown past it and we're on to the next, which is, again, it's normal. But having something like this is so interesting because when you watch that video, you realize what certain goals meant to you and it grounds you back into the fact that, like, just for you to be proud of yourself for what you've accomplished, because oftentimes we are on this hamster wheel of the next thing and we don't even take the time to really, I guess, get in touch with what it took to get to where we are and really appreciate the work that we've done to get there. So, I think it's an incredible tool and I recommend everyone kind of tries the same thing. I love doing it on my birthdays because it's like obviously a reflective time for me and it helps me really zoom in on the things that I'm hoping to achieve for the next year. And then when I get to the next year, it's really cool to see how far I've come. So I love this method and I hope you guys try it, but I really wanted to break it down in depth for you guys on this episode. Okay. So Moving on from here, oh my God, there were so many very specific topics you wanted me to cover. And I'm going to start with wellness centric topics. So, first, I'm going to answer something very quickly, which is a lot of you guys have asked me about my aura ring, which, if you can see this, I have it on. But I love my aura ring. Okay. If you're not familiar with the aura ring, it essentially tells you a lot of stats about everything from sleep to activity to recovery. Your recovery is things like your HRV levels, your body temperature. It helps you track your period. It basically gives you everything you need to know about where you're at. I like the Aura Ring because it helps me see where I'm at from a stress perspective. You know, it really helped me learn what disrupts my sleep, what my ideal sleep time is. So if you're someone who's interested in stats, I'm a very data-driven person. I highly recommend the product. So I'm just going to start there because I always get questions about this and now I have a place to refer people to. Okay. So major question was safe way to stop cravings and lose weight. So I'm not going to talk about the lose weight part because I am not claiming to be an expert on weight loss and I just feel like everyone's journey is very different. But what I can speak to is stopping cravings. So I have found that the easiest way to kind of stop cravings and feel like you aren't really in control of your, I guess, cravings is balancing blood sugar levels. So I've done a number of in-depth episodes about this. I've spoken to Glucose goddess, Jesse, obviously. So I would refer back to that episode. Another really excellent episode is with Mia Rigdon. That is also, you know, we cover balancing blood glucose levels. And I can tell you from my experience, the thing with blood sugar levels is that if it's not balanced, then we are on this hunger roller coaster, okay? We feel out of control. We're constantly craving things. We are eating. Essentially, everything that comes our way, our moods are imbalanced. There's a lot of downside to not balancing your blood glucose levels. Now, the easiest way for me to kind of get a kickstart there is savory breakfast, making sure that I'm getting fiber, protein, fats and greens with my breakfast and making sure that my meals thereafter kind of follow that same format. I like to have three square meals in a day, which means that they're quite substantial For a long time, I would just forget to eat lunch or I would be intermittent fasting for so long that, you know, I would be eating 2.5 meals a day. And ever since I kind of straightened it out so that I have three full substantial meals a day, I feel like I don't have any cravings. I'm very satiated throughout the day and I just don't really feel like, you know, going out and snacking or anything like that. And if I do feel like snacking because I've trained really hard, then I'll typically reach for something that is a little bit higher in protein, like a hard boiled egg. Or I do these like rye bread toasts with uh, or crisps with cottage cheese, some chili crisp, fly by jing. It's amazing. And a little bit of honey. And it's very, very satiating. Again, cottage cheese is a really high protein, easy snack that we can have if we are feeling hungry. So That's another favorite thing that I have. I've also found that eating more protein at my meals keeps me really satiated. So typically I am doing either animal protein like meat or um, eggs or basically something that does have amino acids in it because animal proteins or just protein in general keeps us feeling more satiated. So I'm not wanting to snack throughout the day. So those are like my, I guess, like building blocks. And then a couple of other tips. I find that when I'm dehydrated, I tend to crave like more salty things. And so ever since I have started to, I guess, like sometimes I have, I when I do feel that way, then I'll make sure that I incorporate some more electrolytes into my day. You guys know, I absolutely love Element. That's my favorite electrolytes. So I use Element to hydrate every single day. And then I have also a big, big, I guess tip that I have is sleep. On days that I've gotten less sleep or poor quality sleep, I find myself with like, you know, having the desire to snack for no reason. So I'll give you guys a quick example on, I think it was at one of the days last week. I don't even remember. It's been a very, very long last week. We got back from France on a Sunday night and it was a really busy week. And I think it was on Friday where I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep on Thursday night. I think I'd slept about like five and a half hours. It was just, I slept really late. I woke up early because I was still jet lagged and. The way that I was eating that day, it was I couldn't even rationalize my way out of what I was doing. I was reaching for snacks literally all throughout the day, which I would never do. You know, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to reach for vegetables like it was the craziest thing. And I know that ghrelin and leptin levels are so deeply linked to how we're sleeping and our hormones and all of that. So I was about to start my period. I hadn't slept well. And, you know, I just felt very out of control. And you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to be mad at myself or make myself feel bad because that happened. It's rare, but it does happen. But it kind of um, emphasizes the importance of getting good sleep and regular sleep throughout the week. So those are, I would say, like my overarching tips on stopping cravings. And again, if you guys are looking to hear from you know nutritionists and in Jesse's case, a biochemist and an expert on this topic, I would refer to the episodes that I said. So Jesse's episode, Glucose Goddess, and then Mia Rigdon. All right. So another big topic of conversation that you guys wanted me to address was how I organize myself on Sundays. So on episode 196, which is another solo episode, I talk about the fact that Sundays are my parasympathetic days. Now, if you want me to speak about it in tons of detail, go back and listen to that episode. But essentially, Sundays are my days for rest and relax. And essentially, I like to do it in a very intentional fashion. So I don't want to take on anything that gets my core is all spiked up. Like I'm resting in its true form that day. I'm not going to the gym and doing a crazy workout. I'm not planning a ton of social activities. That's my day to reconnect with myself. So go listen to the whole why behind the parasympathetic day and exactly how I set it up. But that is essentially Sunday in a nutshell. In order for me to feel like I am prepared for the week ahead, I like to plan my week on Sundays. So I'll make sure that I write my entire to-do list for as far as I can kind of think on Sunday. So I know exactly what I'm doing on Monday. And then if there's like things that I know, like deadlines I know are coming up for like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, I write down like the how I want to split up my tasks, like small to do's for the rest of the days as well. It just helps me feel like I'm going into the week with as much control as I can possibly have. And I like to also go to bed earlier on a Sunday so that I can wake up really early on a Monday and really kickstart my day, make sure that I'm in front of my computer um, a little bit earlier. So I'm proactive because I find personally that if I I'm not on top of my day. I'm just being reactive and it causes a lot of anxiety. And so Sundays are my way to kickstart the week in the right way. I also make sure that I plan my week of food on Sundays as well. So what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily prepping five days worth of breakfast, lunch and dinner, but I am prepping for a couple of days in advance because typically like I do like fresher food. I don't like to eat the same thing for five days in a row, but I know what it is I'm eating. So I have on my notes app a menu that I create for the week. And so I have written down like two breakfast ideas, two lunch ideas and two dinner ideas. That way I also know what groceries I'm buying. And typically like those meals will kind of have an overlap on some of the ingredients so that I'm not wasting things. I found that ever since I started doing this methodology, number one, it takes the thinking out of what am I going to eat throughout the week? Number two, it helps me better plan my groceries and I'm not you know, making these like random trips to the grocery store and then all of these things are going to waste. Like I hate wasting food and I just feel like this is a lot more organized. Number three, I think that when it comes to cooking at home, we overcome complicated. And oftentimes, because of how busy we are through the throughout the week, if we aren't planned, like if we're not planning what we're planning on eating, then it's just so easy to order Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever, you know. And instead, for me, as much as I can, eating at home is really important. I have social things that I have to go to some nights of the week. But when I'm when I don't have social plans, I need to cook at home. Like it's just what I owe to myself. I know I can have access to the highest quality of ingredients when I'm cooking for myself. And so I know that ease and convenience is key for me. And so planning everything in advance, knowing exactly what I'm going to do is incredibly important and Sundays, what sets me up for success. Lastly... What I do to unwind and make sure I'm going to bed early on a Sunday night is an everything shower. So if you guys don't know, I mean, my girls out here should know, but an everything shower is when we are doing literally all of the things. Okay, I am washing my hair, scrubbing my body, doing like layers of moisturization, mask on my skin, you know, literally all of the beauty things in one go. And I don't know about you guys. My hair is thick. I hate washing it. And Sundays are my you know, designated day to do all of that. And when I finish my everything shower, I put like this eucalyptus and mint effervescent tablet. It's like a very clean brand. I was gifted it a little while ago. I put it in my shower. My entire bathroom smells like a spa. I make like a whole evening out of it. And it's this like one hour long, very relaxing activity where I just like look after myself and make sure that I'm fresh and ready for the week. And it's just a really nice way to unwind and get ready for bed. I obviously at that point, it's like a hot shower. There's no cold because I want to make sure that my body is relaxing and getting ready for bed. If I have a cold shower, then I'm feeling jolted and energetic, which is not what I want before going to sleep on a Sunday night. And then I'll sit down with my Kindle. I'll have obviously two um, sleep capsules and two bio-optimizers, magnesium capsules as well, which I've talked about. And I feel like I get the best sleep ever. I checked my score on my aura Ring and I'm at a 92 today. I got eight hours, 15 minutes of sleep. I woke up so well rested and just so ready to take on the week. You guys, you know, I hate the feeling of starting A new week feeling like you're already behind and you're tired and it's just not the vibe. And so I've decided that, you know, my Sundays are my sacred day. It's the day that I plan for the week. I make sure that I'm not bogged down with like a ton of social obligations because I need to start my week with intention. And so, you know, I think yesterday I had basically a perfect Sunday and I can tell you that I've started this week feeling like, you know, on top of the world. Want to know the craziest thing? Americans spend an average of ninety percent of their time indoors, breathing in about thirty thousand gallons of air daily. And here's what blew my mind: according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Actually, data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly seven million premature deaths across the world. So, breathing in. Good, clean air is incredibly important for our health, but also just how we feel on a day-to-day basis. So I've shared this before, but when we were in the midst of moving between Toronto and L.A., We went back to our apartment in Toronto after like six months and I developed this like really, really bad cough. I was so congested and I realized it was because my place was so dusty after having been lying empty for six months. And so I went on Instagram and so many people had recommended Air Doctor. So I got the air purifier and it is such a good product. So I'm really, really excited to be partnering with them on the podcast because I've been a customer for a couple of years now and I really really like the product. So AeroDoctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold so your lungs don't have to. Their ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. They also feature Whisperjet fans, which are 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Good news is that Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus a shipping. All you have to do is head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code DREAMBIGGER. And depending on the model, you will receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will receive a free three year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. You can lock in the special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code DREAMBIGGER guess what came in the mail today? Shoes. And I am talking about super cute, super comfy shoes from Vionic. So I've been talking about their Anaya sandals, which I wore all summer. And obviously as we transition into fall, I want a little bit more of a fall vibe when it comes to my footwear. So I actually got two pairs of shoes, the LED loafers and the Brookle heeled sandals. So I'm going to tell you guys about the sandals, the heeled sandals specifically, because they are insanely comfortable. Okay, the first thing I did when I took them out of the box, obviously tried them on super cute, so comfortable. And that's what I love about this brand, that it is not an either or when it comes to comfort or like cute shoes. It's both. And as someone who loves to walk around, listen, I'm an East Coast girly at heart. I don't care if I live in L.A. I walk as much as I possibly can. I like to make sure that my footwear is cute but comfortable as well. So what makes Vionic so special is their VioMotion technology. And they began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling energized and confident all day long. They even offer a 30-day risk-free trial, so you can wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days if you're not satisfied for any reason. Of course, Vionic has an offer for you guys. You can use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for free shipping at www.vionicshoes.com. That's code DREAMBIGGER at www.vionicshoes.com. Enjoy. I'm Ariel Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from addiction almost nine years ago, I have been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you from how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures. I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with the industry's top experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. All right, moving on to work-life balance and then I guess work. So the first question that I got around this was balancing life and work. Now, you guys listen, I think that life comes in seasons and there's times where work is incredibly busy and it's hard for me to kind of even have like social plans outside of that. But then that's like limited. I don't let my year look like that. That's like maybe, you know, right before Black Friday or right before a product launch, like those couple of weeks, I'm like head down working like, you know, my life depends on it because it does at that point. However, I think over time, something I've realized is that sustainability when running a business is incredibly important to me and you don't get your health back. So, health, no matter what, even during periods of insane work, I am just not someone who's going to compromise on moving my body, eating healthy, going to the gym, and just doing things that keep me feeling sane and at my 100%. Now, when it comes to social things, so there were a few years in my life where all I did was prioritize work. And essentially, I let all of my relationships kind of become a second, third priority in my life. And my excuse was, well, you know, my friends know that if something goes wrong, they can always call me. I'm going to be there for them. And something I realized is that why on earth would my friends call me of all people when something goes wrong if I can't be there for them when things are also going right? i was never there when my friends were planning a girl's trip i missed the opportunity to go visit them during really pivotal moments in their lives and i look back on that and i think to myself "What well, i was such an idiot and the reason i say that is because my friendships are sacred and they're what keep me going and i know that we all go through periods of time where our career seems so important but it is. It should never be at the expense of not giving our friends and families the love and care that they deserve. Now, I'm not saying that you know I'm out and about with my friends every night of the week. That's crazy. But I do make an effort with them. I do make an effort to show up even when it isn't the most convenient. You know, if it's my friend's wedding and I have to travel to a different country, even if I don't want to, or even if I don't have time, I will make the time to do that because it's important. It's important for us to have relationships in our lives. And so work-life balance, you know, I don't know if it's like, how do I explain this? Like, I don't think that there's a set formula for it, except for the fact that we have to be mindful of other things that are important in our lives than outside of just work and making time for them, even if it's a little bit, you know, it could be 15 minutes to check up on a friend. It can be, you know, for ourselves even like, because obviously health and taking care of ourselves is also part of that balance. It's making sure that we are absolutely uncompromising about the things that we need in order to operate. It's making sure that you make time to go on a date with your husband, no matter what. Nish and I are co-founders, but I've said this before. We make sure that every Friday we have date night, no matter what. We do not miss that. We do not compromise on that. We will make sure that we go on one to two trips a year where we connect with each other versus about work. These are just things that are important to us. And I... I don't want to look back on my life and think, oh, I just worked my ass off because I was trying to get to this like destination because I think to myself, okay, like if one day, you know, we IPO with Array or I sell Array, what am I gonna do? Oh, I'm just gonna go do it all over again. And so why wouldn't I just enjoy the journey of like my work? You know, I love my work and I need to be able to enjoy my life With my work, if that makes sense. So that's kind of my philosophy on work life balance. And I'm putting it in air quotes, but it's essentially finding time for the things that are important to you outside of work as well, which I hope everyone has things outside of work that's important to them. So Also to do with this is self-care and the idea of self-care feeling like a chore. So I think that we should be very fluid and non-dogmatic when it comes to self-care. Of course, there are certain things that we should be uncompromising about when it comes to health, which is things like movement, because scientifically it's proven to do So much good for us to move our bodies and like working out, whether that's Pilates, strength training, whatever it is. This is scientifically proven to have benefits on our mental health, our strength, our agility, our longevity. And that's something that we shouldn't be compromising on. But other things, you know, like whether it is journaling or meditation or whatever, I think it's okay to be fluid with it. You know, there's periods of times where someone may feel like, they really need to journal or meditate and others where maybe they are replacing that with another mindfulness activity. And I think that that's okay. I think that we have kind of gotten into the habit of being so regimented with self-care where it feels like almost like another thing on our to-do list. And instead, the whole purpose of self-care is that you're refocusing on yourself. You're making sure that you are centering yourself, you're grounding yourself. It's, you know, you're you're feeling joyful after doing that thing. And I think self-care, there's so many ways to practice it. It could be reading a book, it could be going and hanging out with your girlfriends, it could be going out and traveling. It can be meditation, it can be journaling, it can be going out for a long walk. Make sure that you are listening to yourself and kind of like being really intuitive about what it is you need and not just putting these things that we see on Instagram and TikTok, like you know, meditating or journaling or waking up early or whatever, like those things are the def the only definition of self care. Self care, I think, is just like a little bit more broad than that. So. Just think of it as just, I guess, like check in with yourself and see what you need. And if one day you've been in the habit of meditation and you don't feel like meditating or I don't know, journaling or whatever it is, I think it's okay. But that's just my approach to self-care, because I think at this point I've cultivated enough of a practice to know that I like I I know what I need. And there are certain things that I won't compromise on and others, which I'm just a little bit fluid, on, more fluid on. So that's kind of my stance on this whole thing. Okay, moving on. Holding yourself accountable to reaching your goals. How do I do it? So I have a lot of thoughts on this, okay? So number one, I think the overarching concept here is that my relationship with myself is based on the promises I keep to myself, which means that if I set my sights on a goal, I will do everything in my power to make sure I accomplish that. So what I do is I set up daily systems to ensure that I reach my goals and I'm uncompromising when it comes to making sure I do those daily systems. So, you know, I think that without a plan, it's really impossible to be serious about achieving your goals. Like, it's all very nice to have in my mind, like, oh, I'm going to accomplish this, like, you know, whatever it is, like a health goal or a revenue goal for the business. How on earth am I going to get there if I don't have a serious plan as to what it means to get there? You know, I'm not just going to go from where I'm at right now to there without a serious plan. And so that's kind of my, like when I identify a goal, the number one thing I do is make sure that I kind of list out everything that needs to happen and everything that needs to change in order for me to get to my goal. So as an example, we have monthly or yearly goals for Array from a revenue and profitability standpoint, okay? However, our concern is more of what are we doing, like what's our output as each individual team member to do certain things that we know will get us to our goals. So as a company, for example, we have top fives, which I've talked about, I think on my episode with Nish, but essentially every month each member of our team comes up with five goals that we want to achieve in order for us to cumulatively achieve larger goals for the company. And I have the same approach when it comes to my personal life. So, you know, for my year, I have three personal goals, which I typically like, you know, come up with at the beginning of every year. And my five monthly goals kind of are there to achieve those macro goals. And I obviously like divide the macro goals into micro goals that I wanna hit monthly as well. And like the five systems, quote unquote, that I set up in place, are in order to ensure that I reach those goals. So just as an example, a random example, because it's such an easy one for me to reference to is if you have a health goal, okay, you can have, you know, whatever it is, it could be an aesthetic goal. It could be, oh, I want to be in a better place with my food or like a better relationship to myself, whatever it is. What does it mean in order for you to reach that goal? Well, If you are wanting to get healthier, could it mean that you are tangibly making sure that you're hitting your steps every day? Could it make sure that, could you make sure that maybe you're eating at home more? So like identifying the number of meals that you want to eat at home versus going out for, could it mean that... You maybe need to get your blood work done and have a nutritionist or a doctor read that blood work to help you identify which supplements you need. It could mean so many things. But I think having systems in order to identify how you're going to get to that big goal is really important and it helps the goal feel a lot more attainable versus this like faraway thing that feels so intimidating. I think we Always overestimate what we're going to accomplish in a very short period of time. And we underestimate what we're going to do if we're consistent over a long period of time, you know? So I think that's where consistency and relentlessness come in. If, for example, you have a major career goal and maybe you haven't reached it in six months, it doesn't mean that if you're not still going at exactly what you're supposed to do day over day, that you won't see the massive improvements in, you know, a year or five years or whatever that time period is. I was actually doing this exercise myself where, you know, I went to Paris for like after five years, which is the longest ever, because I used to go every single year from 2014 to 2019, if not more than once a year to Paris. And last time I went was 29, sorry, 20. 2018 and I was going back after five years and I was doing this reflection piece in my journal and I could not believe the changes that had happened in my life in the last five years. You know, like I'd accomplished so much. I was a completely different person. And I think we just tend to have all these goals and aspirations for short periods of time. And then when we don't get there, we're like, oh, well, never mind. Like move on to the next. No, that's not what relentlessness is. Relentlessness is knowing that you have a goal in sight. And even if it takes a little bit longer for you to get there, you're consistent with. The things that you need to do and you don't give up even when it's hard. So that's kind of how I think of things. And, you know, I also like to attach joy into the act of doing things versus the goal. And I've read about it on multiple um, mindset books and also listened to a number of podcasts, whether that's Dr. Stephanie Estima or Andrew Huberman on how it's really important to um, praise yourself and also enjoy the act of putting in the work versus just putting all this value on the outcome itself so you know if you're trying to get healthier really relishing the act of working out knowing that you're putting in the work versus having this goal and attaching all your value to just that goal if that makes sense so i feel like these things kind of like help me stay really on track when it comes to achieving my goals and A related question or many, many that I got about this is how do I stay in my lane? How do I make sure I'm not distracted or feel bad about things that other people are accomplishing? I, number one, am of the belief that, you know, we are all going through different things. And just because someone's life looks glossy doesn't mean that it's perfect And also, I also think that we are all on our own timelines. And just because someone has accomplished something at the age of 21 doesn't mean that I should feel bad about myself, about, you know, where I'm at in my life. I think we all have our own path and we kind of follow our path. The other thing is that I am not someone who feels envious or jealous of other people because I am off the um, mentality that if they've accomplished it, then what's stopping me from accomplishing it? You know, it, if anything, gives me a lot of motivation and inspiration to see that someone else has accomplished the goal that I have in mind. It makes me feel like, oh my God, like, you know, what did they do? Like, let me study what they did. And I bet you they had their set of difficulties getting there too. And that just gives me more reason to believe that I can do it as well. So I think that if you are looking at other people and you're, coming down hard on yourself about the fact that maybe you're not close to your goals and they're so much further ahead. I think instead a reframe is really, really important. And I think you should just see it as a positive thing. There's also so much opportunity for everyone in this world to succeed. I think having abundance mentality and knowing that they're succeeding and I can also succeed and having grace for yourself. I think these are things that are really, really important. And you know, on a different perspective, I guess, but kind of the same as when it comes to Array. You know, people have asked me, well, aren't you scared of the competition? No. Why would I be scared of the competition? Okay. I don't think that anyone can be exactly like we are as a company. We have a unique brand voice. We have, you know, unique products. We are who we are and no one can rob us of our essence. Number two if there are other copycat brands or other brands doing similar things, I don't really care because I know that as a brand, it's only advantageous to us to have other brands come in and also bring focus into this area because if there are more brands, there's more of a market and there's more demand for a product. So it's not a bad thing if like a few other people come and do the same thing. It's like streaming services, for example. At one point, it was just Netflix. And like in the early days, no one was really using a streaming service. Now, you know majority of the population is using a streaming service versus cable tv and it's actually advantageous to all of the networks to that this is happening that there's more of them and each of them will just work that much harder in order to set themselves apart and attract their own clientele so that's kind of my thoughts around competition I don't let it intimidate me I'm not scared I think that there's room for everyone Speaking of Array and all of that, people have asked me what my time split is between Array, the podcast and content creation. I would say 98% of my time goes into Array or like 97% of my time goes into Array. Whatever I have left goes into the podcast. And Content creation is something that I do very casually on the side. It isn't really something that I put all this effort into. I just do it because I enjoy it. My podcast as well, it's something that I do because I really, really love it. And I do it on my off hours where, you know, I just I like to research guests. And I think now because I've been doing it for enough time, I don't necessarily have to spend like 30 hours preparing for an interview because I like I have an overarching idea of what I want to ask a guest when they show up because I'm only interviewing people that I really, really want to speak to. And because I've been doing it for so long, I I I, I have like an idea of how I No interviews should go. And I know what kind of questions to ask someone when they're sitting down. Before, it used to be literally hours and hours and hours of prep work of me coming up with a detailed list of questions. Now I kind of am a little bit more fluid. I obviously come up with a skeleton of how I want a podcast interview to go, but my goal is really to make sure that the guest feels comfortable. And see where the conversation takes us and trying to get certain pieces of information out of them while letting it be a conversation. So things have obviously changed as you become masterful at a certain craft, you know, just your approach to it changes. So I would say, like, that's kind of my split. I also, of course, have an incredible team when it comes to the podcast now. I have someone who does the markups on each podcast episode to make sure that my producer knows where to edit before an episode goes live. My producer takes it live. The pitching for certain guests is not done on like by me personally. A lot of it is incoming. So things are different because of the stage I'm at at one point or you know what? I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. If today as a new as like where I am as a founder, was supposed to start a podcast, I don't think I could do it on my own because it's a very rigorous process to start a new podcast. Um, I remember when I was doing it on my own, it was really, really time consuming. I'd be the one doing the editing, the pitching, um, A to Z, which I think was a really helpful exercise. But given how busy Array is Today, it would just be very taxing for me to do a podcast A to Z from the beginning to the end all by myself with absolutely no support. So yeah, that's kind of my split and where I'm at. All right. So starting a podcast and getting the right people on the show. Okay, so a lot of you guys seem to be wanting to start podcasts and want tips on making sure that you are getting the right guests right from the beginning. So I think what was helpful on my end was the fact that I had a blog and a little bit of a social presence that I could leverage when I was going out and pitching people. That being said, of course, I got told no so many times when my show was brand new. And I don't blame people. Like, People are busy, you know, and they don't. I'm sure that, you know, like successful people have thousands of podcasts that they're invited to and they have to be selective with their time. However, if you are someone who is starting a podcast from scratch, the tips that I would give you is know what you can leverage when you are going into a um, pitching situation. So for example, if you are a student who is studying nutrition, then that is something that you can leverage because people like to help students or new grads who are just getting started in their career. So you can go say like, I'm a student at whatever college and I'm starting a podcast about whatever topic because I'm so passionate about it I think your work is valuable because of x y and z and um you know I think we would have a great conversation I don't need more than 30 seconds 30 minutes of your time whatever like short and sweet also when you're going out to pitch guests I think Having knowledge about their work versus going out and blindly pitching is very helpful. I have gotten the most thoughtful emails when it's come to being pitched for a podcast. And I've said yes because of the thought and time that someone took to draft that email versus these other people, you know, just very casually pitching me. I've not really heard of them. And more importantly, I just have to be selective with my time. So if I get a thoughtful pitch from a new podcast versus, you know, a copy and paste, I'm obviously going to go and be on the person who was thoughtful about their pitch, their podcast. So I think there. Number two is when you're starting out, even if you can't get like absolutely top tier guests, get people who they would know who are kind of in their realm, because then when you're going back out to them, then you can be like, I have interviewed X, Y, and Z. And um, I think that those people would be more kind of inclined to come on if they've seen that you have experience within a certain topic. So I would say that those are My tips. And I think with podcasting, again, it really is about just being consistent. Even if you are not being able to get the guests that you want yet, being consistent, showing up, you know, going out to as many people as you possibly can. It's a numbers game at the end. You're going to be told no a lot of times. And uh, good news is that as your show grows, people who said no to you at the beginning are going to come around. So, just like with everything else that you're starting from scratch, it's just a time commitment and just committing to it and knowing that it's not it may not be easy the whole time, but it gets easier with time and also having your why. I think that that's really, really important. Uh, also, a really good note from my producer, actually, Ali, is to tell you guys how long I've been doing this. I started my podcast in 2019 before podcasting was cool. It wasn't you know, a crowded space. It wasn't even, it was just like very new. And I consistently showed up week after week after week. It didn't matter how low my listenership was. It didn't matter if people thought I was an idiot for even getting into the space when it was so new and people didn't necessarily understand it. I think that that consistency and making sure that I showed up because it was a commitment that I made to myself is, you know, what allowed my show to continue to grow. It allowed me to sign up with a network with your media over time. You know, it wasn't even on my radar. It was just, I started off on my own and I knew my systems really, really well. So I think, you know, when you look at certain podcasts, you may think, oh, you know, they're like, they're here and they've been here and overnight success and know that every single podcast that's, you know, doing well Every single one of these people have put in so much work from doing interviews in places that were really not glamorous. Like I remember driving to people's offices and homes when I started my show in order to still get that high quality in-person interview, even though I didn't have a studio to record in. I have done the grunt work. A to Z. And that's just what it takes when you're starting a new project. So also like on that note, knowing how you're going to get the best quality interview, making sure you're constantly working on your skills as an interviewer. So all of these things are incredibly important. And so don't get discouraged. It's just a journey and it's just the journey of starting something new from scratch. A lot of questions about how I took the leap and, you know, started working on ray, or like how you take the leap and start or leave your nine to five in order to work for yourself. So I think, so number one, I think I've always been someone who has naively perhaps believed that I need to take a bet on myself in order to do what I think brings me the most fulfillment. And, you know, where I feel like I'm living in my true purpose. So that is number one. So I've always been really intentional about my why when I do things. And I know that leaving security or comfort behind in order to do that thing, which is, you know, working for myself for whatever the reason has been really important to me. You know, when it came to starting Array, I was of the mentality that I don't care if I burn my life to the ground because I know that this is what I'm meant to do. And that's just kind of been my like overarching mentality. Now, from a practical perspective, Nish and I, the way that we have operated is take the biggest risk possible without getting kicked out of the game. So what that means is if, if when we started Array, we threw all of our money into this one thing and then that one thing failed, the business would fail. So we want to make sure that we never do that. However, we stretch ourselves to the point where even if that thing fails, it could be a little bit of a blow, but it won't it won't ruin the business. And so I think that's kind of how it should be when it comes to am I OK to leave my nine to five? It should be do I have enough money to pay three months rent in my bank account? OK, I do. Good, good. I'm, I'm good to go. Because even if every even if it doesn't work, you know that you have a roof over your head and you obviously like calculate your buffer period. Maybe it's a year. Maybe you have other factors to consider, like kids or an elderly parent, whatever it is, but know what your buffer is and give yourself that. Number two, from Nisha's perspective, because he left his corporate job to work on Array full time, and he had his corporate job while we were building Array for the first like six months or so. He decided that he was going to leave when we hit a certain revenue mark because. At that point, it was like a real like big girl business or a big boy business, you know. And at that point, there was no turning back. And also, I think when you are building something, you get to this crossroads where you know that if you continue at your corporate job, your business simply won't succeed because you aren't being able to give it everything you have. Your business, I think, becomes what you give it, you know. And if you neglecting it and your corporate job is getting in the way of a business that is otherwise like really taking off that is when you need to have that conversation with yourself and be like okay i think it's time that i leave my job in order to pursue this full-time or not, whatever. Like you get to that crossroad and it's really important for you to identify when that crossroad is and pull the plug at that point. I'm not saying that when you get there, it's going to be particularly comfortable because let me tell you, when we started Array, like we, you know, we had gotten to this revenue mark, but, you know, it was nowhere near the kind of money that Nish was bringing in from his job or what I was making from partnerships because I was a creator back then. But- we just knew that the upside and the potential that we saw at Array was way bigger and more important than our jobs. So I think from a practical perspective, I would say that don't just leave your job and start a business like willy nilly. Instead, I think have a minimum, vi- minimum viable product and put in all your weekends and your off hours in order to start getting your business off the ground before you quit your job. Because there are so many businesses that come into the world that start and then fail. And you want to make sure that whatever business you are starting or getting into actually has like some stickiness before you kind of put all your eggs in one basket. So I would say like from a practical perspective, that is what I would say. Now, when it comes to running a business with niche, because this was another really important, sorry, a really popular question that I've gotten. I have done episodes with Nish. So if you're curious, you can go listen to those. But from an, I guess, overall standpoint, we touch different things in the business. So he's much more analytical. I am much more creative. And that's kind of how we have split the business. So all kind of marketing decisions, event decisions, brand vision, identity, all of that falls under me. All the more analytical things from inventory to customer service to how much money we need, budgeting, all of that is done by niche. So that's how we split things. Of course, we do make certain decisions together. People have asked which meetings we sit in together versus separate in terms of what we sit in together, it's actually quite a bit because we typically have to make two different decisions or like, you know, a number of different decisions that fall under both of us for overarching things. So as an example, when it came to launching our loyalty program, which is the Feel Good Club, if you are an Array customer or are thinking about it, you should really go check it out because swear to you, we have the coolest loyalty program that exists. But when it came to building out our loyalty program, that was like, a, I would say, a three months long project. And we both sat into every call. Why? Because from a back end dev perspective and like measuring data and all of that, that was all niche. So things like, OK, what happens in order to when? This number, this thing is triggered, like someone gets a free product. What does that mean from an inventory standpoint? What does it mean from the back end development standpoint? What is the customer experience when they're landing on that web page? How will it all flow? What is the email flow? What groups are we dividing people into? So that is all under Nisha's purview. Where I came in is what is the experience from a customer's service and like experience in terms of like a How does a customer feel? How does everything look? At what tier do we need to be giving away certain perks versus not? What falls under like specific perks? How can we continue to make the customer feel special over a long period of time? What is the copy on each of these different things on each email? How does everything look? There's a lot of things that both of us kind of made decisions on for um, loyalty. So it was not just me and him, obviously, but it was a number of people from his team and my team. So we had from my team, our um, director of partnerships, Alexa, who is heavily involved from Nisha's team, Tatiana, who is the director of design. We had our director of ops in there to make sure that everything was set from an inventory standpoint and that we were considering all cost of goods to make sure that this whole thing was still profitable and that we weren't losing a ton of money as a company. We had Later on on like later on meetings, like towards the end, we had our head of events and social media sit in so that they had their considerations to think of so that they could, if necessary, work with our like manufacturer to produce things like hats or merch or whatever it was. So there was like a lot of different people involved who were on each of our teams. So that is a good example of loyalty, which kind of touched both of our departments. Another good one that we have forever sat in together for is product development meetings. So this is really important because of course like product, and good products are the bread and butter of our business because we know that if we produce a shitty supplement or a shitty product, like people are just not gonna come back. And it's really, really important to us that our products are not just the best quality, but that we're tackling issues that are really important, that are important to our customers and that we know that we can do really well, not just from a trend-based standpoint. And the reason that both of us sit into these meetings is because Nish comes at it from, Uh, like an analytical standpoint from the fact that, okay, like what is going to make sure that our business grows and hits certain revenue standpoints? How many product launches do we need to have? What's our strategy when it comes to getting a product out to consumers in terms of like email flows and um, repeat customers. What does that mean for subscription? There's a lot of layers there. And my function is really being on top of different health and wellness trends, knowing what's coming, um, knowing which issues are important, from a scientific perspective how we can take care of certain things which ingredients am I really interested in so that's kind of our perspective on both things and then when we do decide on a product launch then my function goes from all of that to what is our launch strategy what's our marketing strategy how do we want to make sure this is packaged and messaged out to customers what is the one message we want to lean on how do we make sure we simplify what we're saying because you know, each supplement has so many different benefits, but like, what is it that we want to hone in on in order to make sure that this is a product that people really understand? And then other things like, I don't know if we are raising money or we have investor updates, then it's also typically the both of us. Sometimes if we are wanting to save time from either of us, then, you know, we'll split up and like maybe Nish just can't take an investor call and I will take it myself or vice versa. So it's like a split. But I think giving you guys tangible examples of what it is we do in the business kind of helps you guys see what we take together and what we take separately I think the one thing to know is that Nish and I have immense respect for one another and we know that we can't do each other's jobs. And so we have certain things that we have the last say on and we are respectful of when that last say or when and what we each have the last say for. And It's not that we agree on every single thing and sometimes we we do debate about things and our team has seen this, but they know that it's a really healthy debate and that if we don't debate over something that we don't see eye to eye on, we probably won't land on the right conclusion. So everything that we do at work is very like like we we treat each other as co-founders versus husband and wife. And then even if we have disagreed on something at work, we leave it at work when we move into our personal life. So for example, if it's a Friday and we haven't agreed on something at work, I'm not going to bring that energy into date night. Like when work is over, it's fucking over. Like I'm not... Like that's like I don't care what happened with my co-founder. I'm now with my husband and I need to compartmentalize in order for us to have a really healthy relationship as husband and wife as well. I mean, it's really nice when things go right and we get to celebrate as both co-founders and husband and wife. But when things haven't gone right or we've disagreed on something, then that's not something I bring into our household, if that makes sense. All right. I think that that is everything that I have the time to cover There are a few topics that I haven't been able to get to because they're much bigger and broader, which I think I'll touch on on my next solo. The two topics that I'm talking about is my upbringing. You know, I've lived in different cultures growing up. How has that been? And number two is if I have faced pressure from my parents to be doing a certain thing, especially as a brown woman. Short answer to that is no. I have like the best parents, honestly. Like I, my parents have been supportive at every stage of my journey as a founder and every stage of my career. I can obviously get into this on a later episode, which I will, because it's something that you guys are really interested in. But that's all I have time for. I hope you guys have found it really helpful. And obviously, as always, please let me know in DMs and your reviews what more you want to hear from me and things that you found specifically helpful, because I don't know, like it helps me know what's resonating with you guys and other things that you want me to talk about. So as always, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sifhider. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.